This episode of The Boat Geeks is sponsored by The Boater's Guide, a free app for Pacific Northwest boaters. The Boater's Guide is adventure and information right at your fingertips, right when you need it. Find your happy place with The Boater's Guide, a free download on your phone or tablet in the App Store and Google Play. Bruce Schwab. Now, this is a name you knew a lot better than I do, but now I feel like I know Bruce. Um, and that whole racing world, but, yeah. uh, what an amazing guest. Yeah. And you learned how to pronounce <laughs> Von Day. Yeah. I mean, I knew going alone. in, but I knew I was going to also forget how to pronounce it correctly. But anyway, you know, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to make the mistakes. Um, oh, when you're, we... you're, you're the, you, you represent the sponge element. Yes. You are soaking up everything cause you're, you're still fairly new it. to this, to the whole boating world. And it's, it's fun to watch you get all of this and you're so enthusiastic and it's contagious. Well, I think a lot about boating is contagious, but when you have a guest like Bruce, who is um, just obviously known all around the world, uh, accomplished something that no American had accomplished yet, which is a big deal. Um, and he's such a humble and nice person. Uh, it was just a really enjoyable episode for me. And I, and I did learn a lot about, uh, you know, sailing and racing and um, well, and anybody can learn from Bruce now with Ocean Planet Energy because yes. he is, I mean, he's a guru now he is. Of, of energy storage systems on boats. And so he can design an entire system for your boat. He's a pretty smart fellow. Yeah. So this is episode five with Bruce Schwab. <laughs> Welcome to the next episode of the Boat Geeks podcast. I am your host, Darren. And I'm your other host, Darren. And today we have a very special guest, Bruce Schwab. He is probably well known for his guitar playing and his uh, bicycle racing, but also he happens to do some sailing and some ocean racing. Uh, Bruce Schwab has circumnavigated the world twice uh, becoming both the 240th person to do that, as well as the 254th person to do that. Um, amazing. And then you were the first American to officially finish the Vandy Globe in the 2004-2005 race. Yeah, Vendée. 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 Speak of French. So as we always say also, I'm the noob in this uh, podcast, and uh, Darren's going to know how to pronounce everything. I'm going to get everything wrong for you know the first uh, 100 episodes or whatever, but that's okay. I'm learning, and I learned a lot about that race that I didn't know uh, just listening to other podcasts that you've been on. Um and you also, you still own the boat Improbable, correct? That's one of your... Well, I now own it. I, uh, you bought it back. My dad had it. Oh, I, I got it when my dad passed away. Okay. Wow. So yeah. that's, that's the boat that I had before all that other round the world stuff happened. I right. have a boat now, and that's in, over in Anacortes. So. Okay, yeah. I knew there was a local boat that was, that yeah. was tied to you. Um, and now you work with Ocean Planet Energy with uh, Nigel Calder is one of your partners. Mm -hmm. And uh, you're very much into uh, electrical systems and kind of the future of powering boats, uh, which is something we definitely want to get into. Um, you are a, a, a geek like we are. We're, mm -hmm. we're a boat geek and a, a power systems geek and all that kind of stuff. Love it. Um, but before we get into that, 
let's do a little bit of um, just finding out how you became the person that you are today. And the, the, the question I like to start with, mm-hmm. uh, with everybody, because we are the boat geeks, we love boats. Why do you love boats? What is it about boats that, uh, that you love? How did you get into boating and, and it becomes such a big part of your life? That's hard to explain. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> I, I know your your yeah, history yeah, goes yeah. way back. We, we got time, my, but yeah. my my dad, who grew up in Illinois, was became uh, a nut about boats. And when we moved to the West Coast, and uh, you know, I was born in 1960, and we moved to the West Coast, and he wound up the first boat he bought. He bought in Marina del Rey. Um, and didn't even tell my mom. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> It's easier to ask for forgiveness yeah, than so, permission. So right off the bat. That's a said, 60s thing. Right? Yes. <laughs> right off the bat, he said a bad example. And uh, you know, he didn't know any, much about sailing at all. But he reported to me at one point, he says, yeah, we found out the first time we went sailing, everyone was staring at him and pointing at him and laughing, and they had the jib up upside down. Oh, my. That sounds so, like something I would do. Yeah. What kind of boat was that first? It boat? was a, a Baltic Sea cruiser, which amazingly enough is actually a pretty decent little boat. There's yeah. not very many of them around. Um, you'd have to research that to know what they are, but they're a hard chine boat. So he, he was lucky he got a good boat then. And then he wound up selling it and they were together for a while, but then they eventually divorced when I was nine and hmm. he went up to the San Juan Islands. Local. He, moved to, he worked okay. for Boeing and he had a, got a, a classic catch cruiser type boat and Chris sailed around that with that for a while and he tried to take it to hawaii had unsuccessful trip like a lot of cruising trips Mm -hmm. are they don't end well you know it wasn't a very good sailing boat really it looked nautical changed on the bowsprit and you know people walked down the dock and there's a (laughs) you know didn't high enough have a high enough ballast ratio and internal ballast shifted so they limped into california from this failed trip and then he wound up selling it and uh that's when I joined him when I was 13 and we drove across the U S in a Volkswagen van <laughs> with all our possessions and the East coast and searched around there and he bought a East coast boat. And, uh, so I guess the answer to your question is my dad got me into it through his own foibles and follies. And, and we had a thing like every time we'd start sailing, we'd have to come back to fix something <laughs> for a while. We went to the, we went to Florida for like six months working on this boat and we went to the Bahamas and had to turn around and come back, you know, bunched a bunch of stuff, lost the dinghy. And then we finally got to the Bahamas. And we were there for like six months working on the boat, uh, installing laminated frames. We went to Jamaica where we could pull out of the water while we were living on it. Installed oh my like gosh. 21 new laminated frames, keep the thing from leaking. And that boat was finally all done. We sailed down the Panama Canal, up the coast. So it was this whole three-year cruise. Time is half of eighth grade, all the ninth grade, and half of tenth grade. But you got the best education of your life during that period. If I was going to be a boat geek, yes. (laughs) But now, so... Which is where I am now. (laughs) This boat is just, at this point, you're a kid. It's Mm -hmm. just your life. It's your daily life. Do you, at any point during this three-year experience, fall in love with boats? Like, is there a point where you go... I was nuts Boating. about them. Yeah. I, I was nuts right about away. the actual, okay. the physical action of sailing itself mm-hmm. was a thing for me. And not so much the lifestyle. Like I think it is for a lot of people. It's the lifestyle. Yeah. But it, for me, it was the actual sailing itself. So I always dreamed of racing. And I would read about racing boats in the magazines. I always wanted to go faster. 
Um, I knew about Improbable. I read about the boat Improbable mm-hmm. in Yachting Magazine before. It's a famous my, boat. Had My dad had heard of it yeah. before we ever saw it. And I, then I saw a picture of it in the Montego Bay Yacht Club in Jamaica when we were doing a cruise around <laughs> the island before we left. And this is in, when was this? In 74, 75. And the boat had won the Miami Montego Bay race in 71. And I'd read about it in Night Magazine. It's like, oh, that's a cool boat. So years later, when my dad's looking for a bigger boat, we're in California, Improbable's for sale. And I go, Dad, that's <laughs> the boat. He's no like, no, way. that's a race boat. You know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm that. Well, then we were hanging out in, Mont- in uh, Morro Bay. And he'd been looking at some boats in Southern California. We're working our way up the coast. And we hang out in Morro Bay in... It's we tried to go another classic. We try we go out, we try to make our way north. The boat's hobby horsing the giant. If you've tried to sail up the coast from I can only imagine it's I haven't. Yeah. It's brutal. It's hard to get up the coast. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't we were gonna like wait for the wind to die. We went back, the tail between our legs, hung out in Moro Bay. And we learned how to do this. It's actually the smart thing to do, right? Failure and, is a great way to learn. Yeah, or just <laughs> my or whole just life. <laughs> back off, try again yeah. later. And the in comes the in the harbor. I see improbable comes in looking mm. for a place to tie up. They're taking it up the coast. We mm. saw it in Southern California, and I waved. Oh, right, that's a cool boat. And uh, rafts up next to us, and they spent the night in the hotel. And they took off the next day. And my dad's like, "Oh, that lightweight racing boat isn't gonna, you know, make it out there." And they never came back. <laughs> we found out. Oh yeah, we had, we had to deliver it back in time for the race. It was no big deal, you know. Wow. Just, and so they, uh, so we we actually went sailing on it when we got up to the. The bay, the bay Area. Mm-hmm. We did a Farallons race on it. I think both my dad and I got seasick then. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, Dave Allen, the owner of the boat, um, he he's a really nice guy. And uh, in fact, just a weird coincidence. Just uh, last week, I met his son-in-law, who had been on the boat before my dad bought it. He was up camping, and of course, with my friend Ernie. Oh Hammer. wow. And wow. uh, and he got to look at improv. He says, "I haven't seen this boat since before your dad bought it." Um, <laughs> I love boats with history like <laughs> yeah, that, and, where and so many people know about it. And so, uh, so it was really nice to talk to him and talk yeah. about Dave Allen, who's passed away now, and what yeah. a great guy Dave. He he, you know, made it possible for my dad to buy sure. the boat. He gave him a good deal. Mm-hmm. And tolerated at the San Francisco Yacht Club in, in Tiburon is you know, most valuable real estate in the world. There. Sure, of course. Us crazy, you know, barefoot skateboarding kids you know running around the yacht club and doing all stuff moving from their old boat to the improbable and, and i lived on that boat we brought it up the coast then and we did some racing with it as a family and i lived on it when i went to high school in ballard oh, oh wow that's cool and i love and my and my dad kept it so i that was ballard high school that's class great. of 78 and then my dad took it down to southern california and i um he was in santa cruz and i wound up joining him there for a while before i wound up moving off and moved to santa cruz myself and he went, you know, he worked in the aerospace industry. So he kept that boat all that time. So I went off the boat, went on to other things in life, guitar playing and bike racing and you know, working we'll, we'll on talk boats. talk about that. <laughs> so now the racing, what what do you think it was about the racing that you enjoyed? Did you do anything? Um, were you doing anything else in your life that gave you that same feeling? Racing your bicycle or, or yes, surfing definitely. or something that gave you? Definitely the sense. I, I like bike racing. I like, you know, I like riding in general, mm-hmm. you know, fast, but I like the competition too, where you can, it's the, it's the mental aspect of it. Um, obviously with sailing, the mental aspect is greater than the physical part where cycling it's, you know, right. but there's still a whole lot of tactics and thought and of presence of mind in bike racing, especially in cyclocross, which is what I do now. Mm-hmm. It's so much technique that 
you can always do better. But in sailing, uh, there's so much data to process and things to analyze when you when mm-hmm. you race. That it's uh, and especially you, you when you hooked race on. by yourself. I mean, you're that's you're a you're a solo racer, and it's all down. Or to it you. was. Well, yeah, you were. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's. Uh, I wound up doing my first solo race in the Barrier in 1984. Against my dad, he was on Improbable, and I borrowed my boss's boat, Svensson. Where I worked, <laughs> wow. I worked for twenty years in California for Svensson's Marine. Yeah, and I borrowed his boat and boat, and he said, "You can take the boat, and but if you break it, you fix it." Okay, <laughs> like, okay, Sven, gotcha. <laughs> and uh, I wound up winning the whole thing. Oh, really? Fun. Yeah, my dad and I bet the, bet the entry fee on it. And how did your <laughs> so, dad do? And so it's very gratifying to you know, you know, since I and my background in cruising and my sure. interest in racing and my I, I like to figure things out, mm-hmm. you know, if I, and become efficient, right? It's all about just squeezing out efficiency and, yeah. you know, and risk management. Mm-hmm. Yes. What's risk still, versus reward. You know, and... Which is all that, that, that whole mindset. And so that became pretty addicting. And I, I kept on doing more and more races in the, in the single handed sailing society in the Bay area. Great organization, great people, yeah. great much characters. Eventually then I restored that uh, rumble seat, in my own boat, a 30 square meter over a long period of time. And won the single-handed transpack race on that. Awesome. Um, and then uh, my dad hauled, had the boat all the way till uh, um, 2018. When he he's still single-handed that boat. When he was 80. He would go out cruising around the San Juan wow. Islands. He was 80 years old. Good for and, him. And uh, you know things, his health failed and he passed away. And I wound up with the boat after all those years. And I was just gonna like polish it up a little bit and sell it. And it didn't work out that way. I know how that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And but uh, so much, not only does that boat have its own history, but has just an immense amount of history with your family, obviously, too. And so I can understand that, and I'm glad you have it. That's that's awesome. Um, back to racing, and I'm sorry about your dad, um, no but I'm glad you have the boat and that, you know, and that carries on. Um, with regards to racing, I know today's racing world is very different. Technology has just uh, improved, or I, I don't know. It's some people say it's, improve. It's, it's gotten so much faster. Boats, technology, yeah. and performance has just how fast were you going back then, compared to how fast racers go today? Oh well, well, the boat I raced around the world. I mean, of course, we cruised around, and you know, you know, barely moving. It seems like by sure. today's standards, and Improbable was a fast boat in its in its day. It's going to be faster when I'm done with it. Yeah. But uh, the boat I raced around the world, Ocean Planet, mm-hmm. you know, so I raced around in just under 110 days. Yeah, that and, I can't even imagine. And the average speed was like 11 knots or something. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That is nothing. <laughs> That's amazing. Compared to the boats now. But- the 24-hour speed record solo is like 22 knots average speed for 24 hours. Or maybe even more than that now. Now is so, are the, I don't that's not a monohull and the multi hull is even faster. Yeah. Right. And they have the foil boats now. Yeah, the boats literally fly they literally fly <laughs> they ride on foils partly out of the water now. But are these boat these new this new technology and this these faster boats, are they still are they good for a solo around the world race? Are they does that mm-hmm. do you mm-hmm. the ones they're designed for? I'd mm-hmm. say the like the Amoca sixty class. IMOCA yeah. International Monohull Open Class Association. That's uh, and that class has been developed by the sailors themselves. They've been mm-hmm. part of the. They're all members of that. I used to be a member of it, mm-hmm. and so they all create the rules and create the stuff collectively. Um, it's a development 
fleet and development class, they get faster all the time, but they have put some restrictions and some mm. things. Like they, they, the keel blades are one design now, and the mass, they can either, there's like only two versions that they have to fall into. Um, but they've gotten so much faster, and they're designed for that. They've gotten so, they are the dominant ocean racing boat for the round the world stuff. It's now the boat that's used for the Vol, what used to be the Volvo race. Mm-hmm. Now it used to be the Whip Red, then it was the Volvo race. And they had, you know, far fifth, far seventies and far sixty fives and different boats over the years for that. And now they're the Amoka sixties or the, <laughs> that's a crude race with five people on board. Mm-hmm. And they're also going to, you know, for the Vendee, um, and the big races like the Route de Rum or the Transit Jacques Vab, all the big races, that's a huge fleet now. Um, right now there's another race going on. Uh, it's called the Ultimes. And it's these mm. giant, it's like the next thing past even the Amoka 60s, which are incredibly fast. And mm. now these, these guys are racing like these giant trimarans, like 120, 140 feet wow. uh, around the world right now. But as you would expect, these things go so fast that, you know, they all, I think there's only one that hasn't broken yet, <laughs> of course. And uh, that's, you know, that's going around the world at an enormous, enormous pace. But you mentioned if they're seaworthy, are they good? But uh, yes, and the faster you go, I mean, the less time you spend out there. Right. Yeah. Um, less time things can go but wrong. If you hit something at the speeds that they're going, then. Which is that a. Great. You know, I, I hear these stories. I'm not a sailor. Um, and I, and I, although I would love to someday sail to Hawaii with, with Darren, we've talked about that before. I'm also terrified at the thought. Um, but one thing that really. Uh, sticks in my mind all the time is all the containers that are out there now. Is that the same as it was back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, you know, with container, just random containers floating yeah, around that you can run into? Yeah, they're supposed to sink. So some of them don't. Yeah. And some of them get lost. So I imagine with um, these new materials. too. There's, you know, fishing nets. and Yeah. Just a lot of stuff. Yeah. It's just and plastic. Unfortunately, yeah. That's plastic, not There's junk. Yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, you hit whales and stuff sometimes, too. Yeah. I think the problem is the lightweight, high-performance boats don't prevent much of a, a radar reflection, or in their case, sonar, mm-hmm. you know, especially if you're heading at them because you're just seeing the foils, which are invisible because they're right. so thin. So I right. think that uh, they don't hear them. Seeing oh, for yeah, them is hearing, and so they don't hear slash see them. Um, that may be one of the reasons why you hit cetaceans with some of these fast boats right sure. now we've got the, bad for all parties involved the uh orcas off of portugal that are taking out rudders they're, yeah they're attacking cruising boats yeah which is crazy but that's i don't blame them on, <laughs> yeah. on one hand well i'm sure they have their have the reasons have their reasons oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah so when uh but back to ocean planet now you you actually were involved in the design and build Yes, I work closely with uh, the designer Tom Wiley and the builder uh, Steve Rander, Schooner Creek Boat Works. Oh yeah, I, yeah, Steve. And yeah. Uh, he's a character. Yeah, he's, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, and Tom Wiley's a great guy. So that was a real experience, you know, um, creating the boat, our vision for it, what we wanted to do, and yeah. And this is an open, um, open the, sixty, the open sixty or, class, yeah, right? At IMOCA the time. sixty class, and the name sort of changed from open sixty to IMOCA when the organization. But what was it like though? I mean, you had um, you had parameters that you had to stay in and to try and eke out the fastest boat possible. What right. was it like in the design process, dealing with what you could or couldn't do? Well, everyone has their own belief systems of what they think will work. And in the early days of uh, 
of the Open 16. Imoca 60s, just finishing was such a challenge, you know, for a race like that. So we went with a, a skinnier boat we felt was safer, um, easily driven, less powerful, but uh, still, still very fast. And if our design concept had been fully realized by this in the year 2000, when Michelle Desjoyeau won and Ellen MacArthur was second, um, I think it would have done quite well. I think we could have been, you know, maybe boat would have been like third or fourth. <laughs> so it was capable of being that fast, mm-hmm. you know, with the proper sales development program and me with the amount of training. Um, but by 2000, I, I, I would never have been ready to go at that, at that, even though I'd won the single-handed Transpac. I mean, it was a whole nother level. And so it was kind of good that I didn't get to go. And I wound up doing the... Um, the 02 or 03 around alone race as my training race. I sort of flailed at that. I, I broke the boom twice and got things ironed out. So I was in there in 0405. And, uh, and I was actually up there in the beginning with the boat. It's uh, It was faster than people thought compared to the wide, powerful canning keel boats that were mm-hmm. around at the time. It was it was reasonably well, but I... I fell behind a little bit, and I needed to focus on finishing. I could have gone faster for a lot of it. But my inherent paranoia about noises and things and checking things and checking the keel, and there's a lot of times I slowed down to deal with things, um, enabled me to finish. Hey, yeah. Um, I got ninth out of the, the 20 boats that started. Awesome. And I managed to finish in that uh, – you know, if I had pushed hard and broken something and not made it, I'd just been another oh failed solo yeah. ocean racing thing, which has been plenty of, of that. It's easy to fail in short-handed racing. You know, it's not sure. hard to do at all. Yeah. So uh, that's good. But by then, the boat was, uh, the wider boats were just so much faster, reaching especially. And those boats then are nowhere near as fast as the ones now. It's constantly uh, a you know, arms race and wow. increasing speed. And, and they learn stuff in design, learn what's possible. You know, yeah, um, we are always learning. You think that uh, humans that have all this stuff figured out ages ago, hmm. it's it's endlessly improving. Mm-hmm. And you, the the design teams are involved, uh, especially in the French. The French have dominated oh, yeah. the the development of these boats. Um, they have so much design experience and so much sailing experience that they continue rolls over into new programs. And the money keeps coming in from the sponsors because it's such a huge mm-hmm. sport that. Uh, yeah, they're fantastic machines. I, would, uh, I got the sail on one of the foiler boats, the first, yeah, yeah. the well, it wasn't the first Hugo Boss. He, uh, Alex Thompson went through a number of Hugo Bosses, but he was a, we supplied the batteries to uh, one of those boats. The first one he had that was the foiling one, and it was uh, it was one of the fastest boats for quite some time. Um, and it was at, New, at Newport, uh, Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. Um, we just, I got down there, we were just doing, it was a test sail day. They were testing out sails, a few people on board, and the thing was going... Uh, in 11 knots of wind, we were going 16 knots. <laughs> and that's not even, it's yeah. not even one of the fast ones now. That is insane. So it's a whole other dimension. <laughs> it really is. So now, obviously preparing for this race, uh, there was, a, I guess, a chance maybe you were looking at the 2000 window, but you end up racing 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like it just takes years and years exactly. of prep you yep. acknowledge you want to do like when did you acknowledge to yourself that you wanted to do this race and how and then how many years was it preparing uh, following the 98 99 around the lone race and following another american brad van Lu did good in that race right on balance bar he was on balance bar 
Um, and that was pretty inspirational. I want to connect me with him and, and some other folks, to be honest, it wasn't a, like a, a lifelong dream of mine before that. Like some in, in France, they grew up right as kids wanting to be you know, they rock they raised, stars. They raised minis, they raised, you know, mm-hmm. Figaro boats. They worked their way up the, the food chain. It's mm-hmm. like basketball in the U S right. Sure. This is huge farm league. They all work their way to the top. Um, so I, I, I didn't, I wasn't, you know, racing to Hawaii was a big deal for me and winning the single hand transfer. That was cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And then people were like, hey, you're pretty good at this stuff. Maybe you ought to go around the world with the <laughs> Europeans. I thought, oh, that's crazy. That's a long way. <laughs> and they're like, well, I don't know. That is pretty cool. Maybe I would be pretty good at that. And so really it was just 98, 99. So we, you know, started gunning for 2000, which was way too soon. Um, and so it took, you know, well, for one thing, I had to raise some money to build a boat. You know, mm-hmm. you'd stop. You'd start and stop and start and stop and raise more money. And then we, um, uh, you know, just made the, the around the around loan 2000, 2003. It does take years, like you say. It takes yeah. a long, long time of preparation. And even the top programs with lots of money know that they have to get it all lined up and get the boat out there and do some races and break some stuff yeah. and get them fixed up mm-hmm. to really have a shot at if they're going for the Vendée, which sure. is the pinnacle of the, of that class. And, uh, it's, it's grown so much that race. There's more boats in it. Now the media coverage is just, is grown. What, what about, uh, in the United States? I mean, you know, the rest of the world pays much more attention to these types of races than we do in the United States. I think there's a good following in the United States. It's just more it's spread better. out. This is more spread out because we're a bigger country and we're, yeah. you know, it's more concentrated and, I feel like racing is more East Coast. I may be totally wrong, but it feels like a Northeast type thing. Maybe that's just my ignorance from movies or something. I don't know. But (laughs) yeah, I just don't. I'm not exposed to the culture as much. I love when I see a bunch of sailboats out there. Sailboats Mm -hmm. are beautiful to me. And, and you know, I I just love, you know, a lot about um, just sailboats and racing and, and everything I and, I, and i love learning about it from it's more people of like a it. team thing in the u.s i think yes that I seems think that is a more collective thing and crew um yeah. <clears throat> and maybe it's uh an economic reality that you've got someone who can own it and then he needs a bunch of people to sail it with him right and uh, so it's crude racing with crew is the more is the more popular racing mm-hmm. um <clears throat> it's a different mindset i think that uh our American, uh, we don't identify with sailing as that big a deal for us mm-hmm. historically. But when Eric Taberly in France started beating the British, that was their recovery <laughs> from Trafalgar. Yeah, yeah so like, hey, so good uh, at this. <laughs> he, uh, you know, the guy was legendary. That guy yeah. is that guy is a, a god in, yeah. in in France, and now they have this whole system of of great sailors who, who people follow. Um, but you know they. They follow America. I had a great following in France when I did it. I went well, back to France like a year later and was walking in a grocery store. <laughs> and a, a woman and her daughter came up to me with like a napkin to get an autograph. That's great. That I mean, is that's so cool. That's, that yeah. is so they recognize cool. me somehow. Well, you are, yeah. you are a legend well, in the it, sailing. It's kind of funny because uh, we actually, you and we, I met you for the first time almost 20 years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. And, uh, the only reason I remember it is because it was embarrassing for me. Uh, but it was at, I believe, it was 2006 maybe at, of all places, the Strictly Sail Boat Show in Philadelphia. 
I think they held it one or two years. It was so successful. I don't even even remember Um, that show. Well, and I was was producing the Latitudes and Attitudes television show at the time, and we were receiving uh, video segments from uh, cruisers around the world that we would put into our show. And so I'm at the Latitudes and Attitudes booth in Philadelphia, and Captain Woody comes up to me, and he says, Hey, Darren. I want you to meet somebody. I turn around and he goes, Darren, this is Bruce Schwab. And I shake your hand and I say, oh, Bruce, it's so great to finally meet you. Yeah, you, you gave me that, what hmm. you talking about? Bruce? <laughs> that look, same but, look, it just but, took you right back. <laughs> uh, and then I say, um, I love those videos you're sending in from Venezuela. Oh, and you gave me the funniest look and then you said something and then I realized... Oh wait, you don't have an Australian accent. <laughs> and then literally I go, "Oh, you're that Bruce Schwab." And then I was starstruck cuz Bruce Schwab from Australia had been sending in videos and you know, with his accent. And I thought and I was There was just a working. cruiser named Bruce Schwab. Yeah, I didn't even know Bruce that. Schwab oh. from Australia, so I thought Good And story. then I realized, "Oh no, I'm actually talking to a celebrity." Yeah. There's so. also a Bruce Schwab in in Colorado or somewhere who's a bike racer. Too. Oh, nice. Master's bike well, racer so, my age. But like you say, you got recognized in France, and for American solo racers, especially back then, did you find yourself a little more uh, anonymous in sailing circles? In general, but you know, one time I was at Sugarloaf, the ski resort place in Maine. I think the year after, so again, I can't forget exactly when it was, and I was in the this the lounge lobby of the place. Um, was online working on a computer doing emails and there's only like two other guys in there two two people in me and the only people in this place everyone's else out skiing and one guy goes hey aren't you that guy i'm like <laughs> you skied over some, his foot some, earlier some big redneck guy. I'm like, yeah i was like um well, what guy said that sailing thing and uh like oh it could be i did dice around the world in the other guy, the only other guy in the room goes, yeah, yeah, I saw that too on TV. You're the guy on TV, the sailing guy. That's uh, wow. so cool. So the two guys there in the room knew. So yeah. I think that the, the exposure in the United States is better than people think. And I think if I'd had a title sponsor in the Von Nigel album and yeah. the first American to finish it, that they would have been, yeah, we scored on our yeah. return on investment for our eyeballs yeah. and investment dollars. You know, I think it would have been a win. Yeah. It's just... and. After the Von Day, I went to try and get sponsorship to go again because I was being a competitive guy. I wanted to like do it with a with a wide, super high performance boat. The next mm-hmm. step up, and uh, but he just couldn't get the message across. And we had meetings with big wigs here and there, but yeah. never. And then two thousand and eight happened, and nobody <laughs> wanted. <laughs> yeah, everything screeched to a halt. We all fell off the cliff. Well, going back to the Von Day, I'm sure there's. You said how many days? One hundred and. Just under 110 is why. So I'm sure there's so many things that happened during that time that were amazing. Um, uh, But tell me about the moment starting the race, just and and how that felt for you. You're in your boat, uh, everybody's there. There's years leading up to this. What was what was the start of the race like? (laughs) That's pretty stressful. Yeah, I bet. Like, do you do you remember it? I mean, to Matt, well. yeah, I remember lots of it, and uh, 
but the one thing I really remember is, you know, the, those last few days of preparation, even after years of mm-hmm. going at it, we were still doing some stuff at the last minute. Wow. Sure. You know, still stuff. You know, it's always never have enough money, never have enough time. Yeah. I mean, or at least we didn't, but you know, there's, of course you're up against other programs. The last few days, there's like no one on the boat. They're all done. Yeah. You know, they're <laughs> yeah. already, you know, we're just we're just we're <laughs> so, uh, you know, we had guys, I think we were putting solar panels on like two days before the start and doing wiring and stuff. And, um, so it was pretty stressful, and I, I got kind of sick the first night out. I wasn't really seasick. I think I Stress was just so stressed out. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, conditions weren't too bad. It was a pretty chill thing. And then I got into the swing of it and pretty got, got gone. So Were there a lot of people there yeah, gathered for the— It must the, have been a huge crowd for the start. For the launch, for the start? Oh, you're talking like hundreds of thousands yeah. of people. It's huge. How cool. You can't drive into the town. You know, you have to take buses in. The little line up to get on the dock. It's even bigger now. I mean, when I Media everywhere. Went and back in 2012, I went back to watch the start. I think 2016, I've been back twice to watch the start. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's helicopters flying everywhere. And people start lining the, the long uh, jetty to go out to the... Yeah. So did it feel, did morning. you feel that um, adrenaline and that excitement of you're part of something huge here? I mean, I... I can't even imagine, so that's why I'm asking. But, like, I mean, that just must have been... Or yeah, you were outside cool. of your body looking down <laughs> and, you know... Now you focus on the test at hand, you know, you feel the responsibility, you don't want to screw up and you don't yeah. want to run into another boat or, you know... You Especially when you have, like, $1.7 million invested into your race <laughs> and well, plus man hours. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, of course. Uh, I had all my time and everything yeah. in, in, involved in there, and uh, and that makes it even more important, you know, because yeah. when when people you know, send in money mm-hmm. or sit across the table from you and say, okay, I'm giving you this check because I believe you're going to do this. I mm-hmm. believe you're you're, wow. you're really going to do this. Yeah. And you don't get quite enough. Yeah. And you but all of a sudden, you still have to go. Yeah. Right? That's rough. I mean, we were yeah. all, that project was still supported by a whole bunch of credit and credit card debt all in my name because yeah. right? the foundation mm-hmm. didn't, I didn't own the boat. It was yeah. owned by a nonprofit foundation. Yeah. And I was doing emails during the race to our volunteer accountant to shuffle from one credit card to the other one to take mm. the promotional, you know, balance oh transfer yeah. thing and, you know, to keep moving from eggs Peter. in a basket, uh, yeah. you know, so <laughs> to keep it all together because we didn't have, even though, yeah, over all that time race, $1.7 million over the course of building the boat and doing racing twice around the world, we spent about 2.1. So there was oh, a big yeah. gap there that, of course. that all, you know, came to a head in 2008. Like, you know, we, we needed to sell the boat to pay the bills. And all of a sudden you couldn't sell a boat in 2008, but, uh, Hey, I'm not, that's not the only sailing racing story that ended in financial. <laughs> no, of course not. And you, <laughs> you didn't, uh, half ass it. You, you, you went out there and you put your whole everything into it. And, and I'm sure that's what, uh, your investors were looking for. And, and that's what you provided. Um, and you finished, um, what was, so, the beginning, huge, hundreds of thousands of people, lots, and 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 a, and a big deal. What was it like coming in at the end? Hundred and yeah, wow. Well, the finish is the days. finish is totally cool. Yeah, I mean, and it's all spread out then, so the crowd isn't quite isn't of course. big. Yeah, but it's amazing how many are there. And on, on my YouTube channel, which I search for Ocean Planet or Bruce Schwab, Blinding Gold Finish, you'll see. You'll I got a bunch of videos up there. One of them is uh, a condensed version of a longer one we did with Rob Draper, who is a filmmaker in Maine. Mm-hmm. And we have like a 60, we have like a 16 or 20 minute CD for a while, but there's a four minute version. that's like the opening thing on my, on my, on the YouTube channel. 
of the finishing. It's amazing. There's thousands of people there because yeah. the boats come in, you know, months apart from yeah. Oh, yeah. at that point. Of course. And they're just going nuts, cheering kids on the dock. <laughs> you know, the finish the cool. finish is, is mind mind boggling. Yeah. So is the finish better? It's, it had to have yeah, been better yeah, than the start. Yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> God, that's over. You know? <laughs> I'm never doing that again. And then, but then a lot know, of relief. A little while. How later, long like, did that last? We never. I'm never going to do that again. How long did that last? I don't know. A few months. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, I need to get. I need to get a sponsor. Do it again. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, check out his uh, YouTube channel. Just go to yeah. uh, YouTube. Uh, look up Bruce. We'll, we'll put. We'll put a link. Yes, for sure. Right okay. down here somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, that that just sounds amazing and something that you've got to be just proud of that yeah. you that you did um it's fun to relive it because that was a long time ago yeah now. sure so it was like talking to you 20 guys years ago. 20 years it's like ago exciting almost, to yeah. me to remember it all but lots that was almost 20 years ago now yeah and but, and now you're you're um you're not racing anymore sailboats by yourself around the world but um you're kind of still involved in racing though Oh, a little bit. I'm, I'm, I, I could do more racing. I mean, people would like me to race with them, and I would mind doing some. But I, uh, I want to race improbable. It's, I want to go oh, back great. to that. It's going to fill a space for me, and uh, I'll race with other people. I don't need to do it solo. <laughs> I might do a solo race or two back in the Bay Area in the Single Hand Sailing Society race, just for old times' sake. Cool. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'll race with some crew, do some races in Seattle. I would like to race to Hawaii again. Do a downwind, you know burn mm-hmm. like that which is fun that's what the boat was for i mean it's not as fast as ocean planet or not as fast as the, the modern boats but it's, all, it's it's still gonna be really fun to sail because that physical sensation mm-hmm. of of speed yeah and uh you know sometimes sailing a smaller boat's more fun mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. you it seems like you're going to you feel it more not, yeah. yeah you feel it more it's yeah. a physical it's a physical interaction of that sure. so, so i'm looking forward to that have so, you ever uh, considered the r2ak uh yes i've thought about that a lot but you have to get the engine out, and that's kind of hard to do. Uh, mm. We'll see. I'll, I'll, I will investigate that. I've thought about it a lot. And, of course, I've already envisioned pedaling mechanisms off the transom. <laughs> <Exactly. laughs> yeah, that's so, what I like to so, hear. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's a fantastic, uh, uh, crazy event. You yeah. Know? We had them on the podcast. I, people, that, I yeah. you know, think I'm crazy for going solar around the world. Oh I gosh. see some guy paddleboarding <laughs> to Alaska. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I, at least I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm, at least I'm not that nutty. But, yeah. uh, you know, I'm plenty busy with work now. Well, let's talk about that. And, yeah. and, and, uh, I was not, I mean, I was a rigger before the Around the World stuff. I, mm-hmm. I worked at Svensson's, um, mm-hmm. did his rigging shop for years, built that up to be, um, I think, the biggest rig shop on the West Coast during Amazing. those years I was there. One yeah. of the most well-known. Um, and that was that was great fun. I enjoyed rigging, you know, working with your hands and and uh, come, I was one of the early guys to start using Dyneema non-wire ropes. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, I was using, you know, single braid uh, Dyneema or Spectro, we called mm-hmm. it, with yep. Dacron covers on it so you could hang on to it and, and replacing wire wire lines. That was fun stuff. And now, of course, that's, that's all to use on race mm-hmm. boats. Yeah. But I became, through the course of was spending a whole lot of time on a boat trying to make keep the autopilot running, and staring at your battery monitor, I became sort of an energy geek, you know, yeah. watching, running the alternator to charge the batteries, watching the solar panel output, monitoring that, managing the whole thing. And that, uh, and working, you know, before we're, before I did the Vendée, I worked with uh, Lem Dow, who's a great electrician in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. He was associated with Svensson's off and on, and, and I learned a lot from him. And he set up 
the systems. I didn't know anything about electrical systems when I went to go race around the world. I was mm-hmm. totally lucky that a guy who really knew his stuff said, "Bruce, I'm taking, I'm doing this wow. because I, I don't. You know, I got to make sure you don't screw up." And he, you know, he he designed <laughs> a system. Lucky you. Yeah. Yeah. So I so I I learned what a cool system I had by racing around the world twice and going. No wonder he did it that way. You know. Ah, this is really good. That's why I got a 24-volt alternator. This is like mm-hmm. good system. And uh, um, so I learned a lot. I became a geek about that. And then afterwards, um, I was doing some rigging work and some consulting, um, but got into another friend of mine, another single-headed sailor, Greg Nelson, was launching, learning about lithium batteries. Mm-hmm. And he and I started talking about that and getting. I started selling uh, some simple lithium battery systems back in the very early days. How early? And, like when did you start doing that? Oh, it was like 2010. Yeah. And, and then I learned that there was a better way to do lithium batteries mm. uh, when that they should be done when it came to interfacing with alternators and regulators and mm-hmm. how, how to really do these systems right. Um, which would be at a higher level than what I started doing on it. And I uh, met Alex Mavey of a company called Genison, who was an MIT mm-hmm. yeah. guy. And he was into sailing. He had a mini, oh. the little mini okay. 650, and he was into racing that. And so his dream was, was like to do the Vendee. <laughs> and uh, and I had done it. So mm-hmm. he was like, oh, that's cool. And, then I, and my dream was like, wow, you're an MIT engineer? Yeah. Oh, my God, that is so cool. Mutual and, admiration. Uh, yeah. He designed so his own solar controllers. Yeah. Because oh, he, wow. he would look at... He, he worked. He worked for the solar car race team for MIT. Mm. He kind of ran that, so oh, he wow. he would look at solar control and go, "That's not. I could do better." With. He designed his own stuff, so he was selling those. Mm. He started doing lithium batteries early in the day, mm-hmm. and so I saw a system. I'd learned by having some batteries on some boats that you need to have protection relays and different mm. ways to do stuff. And, and Alex like, "Oh yeah, we got this. We got that." I'm like, oh, "Wow, that's that's great." And what do you do when this happens? So we got this. I'm like, oh man, that's great. Who's your marketing guy? He says, "Well, we don't really have one." He says, "Who writes your?" Your stuff, and you know, I said, who does your basic? Well, we don't have. So I'll do that. Yeah. And so we started selling Jenison batteries. And I learned a lot from Alex Mavey over the years, and then eventually, you know, the business got more complicated, and he was wanted to focus on the solar controllers, and he gave me plenty of warnings. Says, "Hey, like, I'm going to stop making lithium batteries." Mm-hmm. And so you need to find another manufacturer. And so I wound up talking to a lot of other people in the industry. We talked to some European stuff, you know, Super B and. Mastervolt, and I kind of wanted to stick with the format, what we call a dual channel system. We can talk more about later about what that really means. Mm-hmm. And I, they were like, "No, you don't need that. We don't want to do that." I'm like, yeah, well, "It kind of works pretty good." And uh, and we hooked up with Lithionics in Florida, an American company. Mm-hmm. They said, "Hey, mm-hmm. we'll build what you want." And uh, and over the years, they were new then. Now they've gotten a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. And they do big production stuff, huge, enormous numbers for the RV market and stuff. And now sure. they're like, hey, we're not doing custom work anymore, dude. You got to mm-hmm. see. But they, they, we work together to develop the systems that we sell now and uh, for our high-end applications. Um, they don't make small ones anymore. So but, uh, so uh, we for like the Nordhaven powerboats, mm-hmm. the ones that want to go high-end lithium systems, that we use Lithionics. And we sell wow. Victron. We're a Victron distributor as well. So, so anyway, I became mm-hmm. a geek in this energy stuff and I've been learning. Uh, I'm not an engineer. I didn't go to MIT. Right. But I started working with lithium batteries in the very early in the game. And so I got a jump on a lot of people. A lot of practical experience. In, a lot of practical yeah. experience of yeah. how things ought to work, yeah. how they ought to integrate with other systems. Mm-hmm. And as other products have come into the field 
as the as the whole environment has developed like wake speed alternator regulators, which now talk over CAN bus with the batteries. We're going to have so Rick, Rick and Al on in a future episode. Oh, great. They'll oh, come over oh. and, and talk about all I about communicate that. with them all the time. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. That's they're, a great They're product. a wealth of information. I drive them crazy, <laughs> you know, with tech, with tech questions. Well, they, love, they love answering <clears throat> tech questions. They, so. they do. And they, Fellow they, geeks. Yeah. Great support. Yeah. And I played a role between them and Lithionics. Uh, and helping them do testing to integrate their systems, and in uh, at at the MITC at uh, Marine Industry Trade Center there in uh, in Anacortes. Oh yeah, with yeah. Mike Beamer, right? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. set up a system there with a lithium-ion oh, wow. battery and wake speed regulator and alternator, and they were able to test it right test there it right in the there. shop and communicate awesome. the communication. So we we played a role in all that, and it's it's great fun. I mean, I mm-hmm. I imagine. We talk about doing what you love mm-hmm. and being in the business and, and working with people in the industry like Alan Rick and like my friends at Lithionics and 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 you know Mike Beamer there, yeah. that facility, working yeah. and developing all this stuff in and with and with Nigel Calder, mm-hmm. who's now on board to he guides us, you know, and answers questions that we kind of embarrassed to admit <laughs> that we don't know the answers to. You know, Nigel like yeah, you know, we can, we can, he's an encyclopedia. Yeah. Yeah. He's well, when, when did you uh, establish Ocean Planet Energy? It was somewhere mm, in that. I was, I was rumble seat rigging for a while. And then I was uh, rumble seat rigging in systems for a while. And then we, uh, when did, I think it was 2013. Yeah. I don't think we were in Ocean Planet Energy when I first started selling stuff like that. Yeah. But around 2013, we became incorporated. And, I think we're an LLC for a while. Then we became an S corp, and um, and then and we I, we worked together remotely in 2015 because you were representing at the time the carbon foam oasis fireflies. Yeah, and the technology uh, that an example of what can go wrong in today's industrial world. Well, and that's what yeah. I, I wanted to ask you about that because um, you set us up with. Uh, your local guy here, and we got uh, four far- fireflies, and we made a video, and you know said we worked with Ocean Planet Energy, and um, that video is like, I mean, it's not, it didn't ever go viral, but it's got like eighty thousand views, and it's still watched every single day. Did you sell those batteries? No, no, I, it was just for for you and uh, the early ones that that. Uh, well, that's what I got was the 2015. The ones that were made in the U.S. Yeah, so really um, so, and of all the product installation videos I've ever done, that one got the most comments. Batteries because people thought they were too. They <laughs> no thought care. they were too good to be true, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, and so I'm constantly giving our real world experience. I mean, they're nine years old. They're on this boat. They still work great, um, but there was a point in which the QC element of the manufacturing changed, and I think they changed countries. Can you because you all, you stopped it, representing yeah. them at some point? Yeah. Um. Because our batteries are great. We loved them. We recommended them nonstop, and then something happened, and we stopped yeah. recommending them. It's a long story. Okay. What's the Reader's it's Digest a long version? Story. Well, and Curtis Kelly, 
who was the original inventor of the carbon form technology when it was spun out of Caterpillar. Cat, yeah, he Caterpillar. worked for the testing and R&D department at yeah. Caterpillar, which is a considerably serious department, yeah. right? They did a lot of cool technology, and they wanted a better battery, and so he invented it. And then what happened was it got spun off as a separate company, and they had some investors, and they were going to the, – they, they wanted to expand it, and they needed a bunch of money to do it, and so they – through some disagreements between investors, someone they had to get a bridge loan. Someone did give him a bridge loan, but he had the right to cancel anything that happened, and he got mad. And so the whole thing went, there was a big argument, and it didn't work out, and so they went into bankruptcy. And it wound up, this guy swooped in from India and bought it because mm. he was going to make batteries for India for you know similar scooters or something. And uh, Curtis wound up working for them for a while, but he they they didn't get along very well. And then and <clears throat> it, it all and the manufacturing which they're building up to do in the U.S. They decided no. They took all the stuff to India, and it took years for them to actually produce some batteries. And they I know oh, there was backlogs. From, I know yeah. they tried. I know they really yeah. tried. And we were just we have to wait for batteries, and then. A whole container would be bad. Yeah. And I, no, you mm -hmm. can't have me at the container was bad. And then and then we started getting more and more warranty stuff. And then just sometimes they some people still have and they got the good ones. Yeah. And they're still going strong. We're, we're fine. We're and some of the happy. we have some in our shop there from the original ones, you know, prototypes mm -hmm. made in uh where Amazing. we were in, in Iowa or whatever in uh or Illinois, somewhere in Illinois. Yeah. And some of those still work. They still They're work still going. And Curtis, Curtis got so mad at the whole thing. He didn't get along with the guys. He was going to start a new company in like Costa Rica to manufacture them outside of the, where the patents were effective. The patents that he wrote. Right. right. And then build up production and then license to make them, say the Indian, the people from India, hey, we'll make them and we'll just license them from you and we'll take over here. But anyway. The, yeah. Yeah. And he didn't need to do that, right? Because mm -hmm. he's retired from Caterpillar. He's mm -hmm. doing fine. He lives in Maine now. He has he has his own recreational oyster farm. He's doing <laughs> nice. fine. <laughs> good for him. But he so he finally got it out of his system and he's yeah. over it now. And he's yeah. having a good time. He brings us oysters by he, he, oh. by the freaking cooler full. Yeah, nice. It says, let me know when you want more. Yeah. And he's like, he doesn't he doesn't worry about the battery thing. He's he's over it all, he's recovered. <laughs> he used great. to be, he'd talk about that. It was that was his baby, right? Yeah. His steam would come out of his ears. He was be so and uh, it was a, a great but, product, great concept. Yeah. Um, and Maybe they'll get it together in the that'd future. Be great. I don't know, but we're. But back then, we though, recovered from that. Back then, they were a a really solid alternative yeah. to the expense of lithium in 2014. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 2015, yeah. when Before we installed lithium them, got yeah. less expensive. Now in, I'd uh, yeah. I'd be I'd be all over. Um, Designing a whole lithium system. Yeah, you can't go wrong with that. Yeah, now. It's, so it's but back then so they far. were they were wonderful. It was like the yeah. between lead acid and and lithium. They were so the cool thing for Ocean Planet Energy is is trying to find stuff that's new, that's more efficient, that increase that improves the boating lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But of course, not jumping on board and getting too excited uh, and selling something that's that's no good. Mm -hmm. So uh, you know, I'm you know, me. I'm. I love to go. Wow, this is a great new thing, and blah 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 blah. Well, if there's any lesson in there, you better be careful when research stuff. It's the Firefly experience. Sure. That cost us so much yeah. to re you know, so much out of your so control too. So much warranty yeah. stuff. Yeah. We couldn't get batteries and had to basically give away 
you know, we started getting Victron ones and stuff. And, oh my and gosh. So we're a Victron st- distributor now. And, and, uh, um, but we're always, you know, keeping our eyes out and mm-hmm. watching battery technology. Um, it definitely is a bigger focus. Like you say, is on lithium now because yeah. it's become less expensive. Um, Lithionics is still quite expensive, but, but for all the high end big projects, you know, uh, having that yield 1973 listing and being basically mm-hmm. bomb proof. Yeah. And for the big projects that can afford that want the very best, that's, you know, that's, that's the stuff for us. And for smaller boats, you know, Lincoln is really not even doing the small form factors anymore. So, hmm. you know, we, we do a lot of Victron stuff as well. And Lithionics, they don't brand their batteries, uh, anything else. I mean, you don't find their product. Correct. Labeled. No, no. Okay. Yeah. So, batteries solar electrical systems um obviously this industry just within the last five ten years has grown exponentially uh Mm -hmm. since you were involved um like i mentioned earlier before the show you know my mechanic and good friend chris dunn a local uh teacher here at the boat building school and and really uh talented with electrical systems he's already done here in port townsend a couple uh smaller sailboat uh, but full electric conversions cool showed me everything i was just it's amazing. blown away now, by multiple things. You know, the, the, the main big battery is just like a box. It's, and, and when he finishes with these conversions, these boats are so clean yeah, they, and he they comes, they yeah, he comes out of, you know, he's been working on diesel engines forever. So, you know, going from which he wants to get out of and just do electrical. Mm-hmm. He just, it's mm-hmm. so clean and so mm-hmm. tidy and so just efficient. Um, where do it's you work? Yeah. yeah. Good electrical work by good yes. installers. No, we don't do installations sure. Ocean Plant Energy. We work with installers all over the country and yep. some all over the world internationally as well. Um, you need those installers to do mm-hmm. it and uh, they have to make some money or they're not going to do it. Right? Yeah, so for we, sure. we, we quote things at retail and then we'll sell to them mm-hmm. and our business models. We work with the client to help develop their system. I mean, we do the design, we give them the initial numbers and then we say, where are you? Or very end of the process. So you need to talk to these guys here installation. Then we, right. we sell through that installer and they get a discount mm-hmm. and we provide the general conceptual diagrams and the consulting to make sure it all integrates together. That way the installer knows we're there behind them oh, yeah. to answer their questions for anything new, you know, there's new new technology. But they I I really appreciate the work that they do and yeah. we get pictures of it and you can just see they're pretty, you know, just the way the wires are led, the way it's all yeah. done. I mean, you have to meet all the technical specs, ABYC mm-hmm. standards and all that stuff, but there's a visual aspect to it too. That to me, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's stare, art. I can it stare is. I agree. at a picture <clears throat> yeah. or, or yeah. get on a boat and some of these yeah. Norton Hobbins have been done by people we know or other sailboats and just look at it. And it's yeah. like, oh, that's like artwork. <laughs> well, that's what, beautiful. and that's when Chris is done with a project, like that's what he does. He comes in and shows me his baby and yeah. he's, yeah, yeah. and just, you know, and you can tell a craftsman who is good at what they do and proud of proud. what yes, they do, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I love seeing that. I love seeing that passion and, also, the move to um, electrical, solar, wind, all the, the or hybrid systems. Hybrid yeah, systems. Yeah, yeah. So I I listened to you on a podcast. Maybe it was last year, um, where somebody was asking you about uh, you know essentially when are people like Darren and myself going to be able to use electrical systems, not as a hybrid, but to power a boat like this? Like how many decades out do you think we are from? I know like. My friend Chris, he 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 maybe it was a twenty six foot sailboat or whatever they did a conversion on small sailboat. But like, how far are we out from being all electric? Yes, pretty far because decades your boats are heavy. Yes, 
they take a lot of force yeah. to move them through the water. Yeah. And your relative, well, you do have some space. I mean, if you completely cover the thing with solar panels yeah. and go really slow. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're okay with going slow. Yeah. We're not a racer like yeah. you. <laughs> but, you know, ideally, the boats that will be more suitable for a full electric conversions yeah. will be designed for that. Mm -hmm. You need a low from the ground up. Whole mm -hmm. from, from the yeah. We've been spoiled the by the enormous energy in a gallon of fuel. Yeah. Right. The amount of energy in mm -hmm. a gallon of diesel is astounding. Yeah. It is amazing stuff. Yeah. I agree. And we've been spoiled by it because you, you know, we just use it. You know? mm -hmm. So, I mean, the best thing in the world Take for, it for granted, the best yeah. thing for the world is for fuel to be really expensive because it is worth it. It yes. is amazing stuff. And we've learned our job is not necessarily to eliminate the use mm -hmm. of fuel. It's to, is to get the most, most out, out of it. Increase efficiency yeah. across the board right. so that you're re preserving your fuel for when you really need it. When you have to move a boat for a long period, yeah. you kind of need to... I mean, there's electric... You, I don't know if you know the difference between a serial hybrid and a parallel hybrid. No, I don't. Like a serial hybrid is where you've got an electric motor and there's some batteries somewhere, and there's a generator somewhere in the boat that charges the batteries. Mm -hmm. The, the generator isn't connected to the propeller shaft. Okay. It's a serial hybrid. Okay. And a parallel hybrid is where if you're going to motor for a period, the engine is connected to the pipe shaft's direct connection. Okay. That's the most efficient when you're motoring from diesel. Right. But you have an electric motor in there, and it's clutched on either side of it. Mm -hmm. So you can run the electric and turn the prop without the engine going, right. if you need to, for a period of time, depending on the size of your battery bank. Mm -hmm. And then you can also disconnect the prop and leave the electric motor attached to the engine so you can use it as a generator to generate lots of electricity mm -hmm. to put into your batteries. Right. So you can do it either way. The electric motor is clutched on either side, but that's mm -hmm. like a parallel hybrid. And that is really the most practical way to have, to have electric propulsion for getting in and out of the harbor and doing yeah. short trips you know, it's it's it is less efficient to use fuel for short trips. The engine isn't warmed up. Mm -hmm. You know, that's when the greatest wear occurs on the engine is in those areas of time, and then to start it and get going. If you could use electric to get in and out of harbors, and then not have a huge battery bank, your your big battery, the big storage is mm -hmm. is is the fuel. Yeah, but you can do all the short stuff and save that fuel when you when you need to go a long ways or need to charge a whole lot. So, so but, that's the difference between serial. Today, um, with with electric propulsion being the sole source for cruising boats like this fifty thousand pound trawler, mm. that's years. Our or decades kids or our grandkids. Um, so today, yeah. though, the the focus or the concentration is more on um, house systems and battery banks and having enough power mm -hmm. for for cruising, and so you can maybe walk us through where we are today in terms of the most efficient systems that are out there mm -hmm. and even it, what it you see down coming to down. What do you want to run on the boat? You mentioned if, other systems are getting more efficient, like refrigeration, which is mm -hmm. the big draw, right? If yeah. Refrigeration is becoming much more efficient. Mm -hmm. um, DC fridges, that's been, that started coming in a number of years ago. Yeah. Um, of course, LED lighting is a huge right. change. Right. It's because, uh, now, if you if you look at an amp meter mm -hmm. and you're used to LED lighting, you turn on an incandescent bulb. You go, oh, what's that? <laughs> yeah. There's an electrical short somewhere. You know, that's what it is. You're just yeah. a, you know you're 
wasting electricity yeah. on yes. the filament, you know. Yeah. Um, air conditioning systems mm-hmm. have gotten much more efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, like, tur- there's a brand called Turbodynamica. It's an Italian mm-hmm. brand of air conditioning. They're expensive for high-end yachts, but they uh, they have multi- variable speed compressors. They can you can set a maximum level. You can use area controls. Mm-hmm. You know, load shedding different times. There's a different ways to through engineering and through smart design. Um, the amount of energy needed to live comfortably is becoming less, mm-hmm. but the energy loads are still going up. And people now, everyone's got Starlink now. You know, mm-hmm. So you can mm-hmm. be online while they're out sailing. Um, so it all starts. If you go to start a system design, what do you want to run? Right. What are the loads? You know, people will come to us and go, hey, um, I want to I want to get a, a you know a good system for my boat. What's it going to be? I have no idea. What yeah. do you want to run? What? How do you yeah. use your boat? How do you use your boat? Yeah. What do you What do you want to do? That's what, what Chris is always hammering into me. You got to figure out your patterns and how mm-hmm. you use your boat mm-hmm. before you're purchasing these things because mm-hmm. you don't know what you need. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we have. If you go on our website, we mm-hmm. have uh, a whole page on load on Ocean Planet. OceanPlanetEnergy.com. We have a whole page on how to calculate your loads. Mm -hmm. Put everything into the spreadsheet, everything in there. And then you can decide how many hours you're going to run it or if you're not going to run it on your battery Mm -hmm. power. And you come up with what your daily loads are. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we go, okay, how far? Once we figure that out, we get a list. We get some idea. And no, it's all a guess, right? You can Mm -hmm. hope the errors cancel each other out. You have to estimate. But a guess is better than nothing. For sure. And then you go, okay, how long do you want to go with, with that before you have to recharge? Mm-hmm. And if you put a bunch of solar in, <clears throat> great, that'll help. And maybe we can get enough to cover your loads. But uh, maybe not enough room. You know, we'll see. But, you know, how long do you want to go? Sometimes there's no sun. Yeah, we live up here in the Pacific Northwest. Sometimes there's no sun. And we'll say two days. Yeah. I say, okay, two days. This is how much battery power you need yeah. to go for two days. On that okay. load, yeah. Okay, next question is, how fast do you want to be able to recharge that mm-hmm. when the time comes to recharge? Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't want to do it in an hour. Well, <clears throat> how about two or three hours yeah. you know, mm-hmm. for, for two days worth? Because that means your charging system has to provide this much amps to give you this much amp hours mm-hmm. in an hour or two. Right. And that charging system has got to be pretty awesome to yeah. deliver, to put all that energy back in your battery. And uh, how you do that is, you know, that's the next equation. Yeah. It's like, uh, okay, so t- we also start talking about in terms of kilowatts rather than amp hours, hmm. kilowatt hours, because when you talk 12 volts, 100 amp hours at 12 volts would be 50 amp hours at 24 volts or 25 amp hours at 48 volts. Mm. So when you start talking amp hours, you have to be clear. What voltage are you talking mm-hmm. about? Because, and you're talking kilowatt hours, that's the same kilowatt hours. A 12-volt battery, 100 amp hours, 1.2 kilowatts, 1,200 watts. So a 1.2 kilowatt hour, 48-volt battery, is the same amount of energy, right? but it's a quarter of the amp hours. right? And there's real reasons, and now in today's systems, what's driving the 
the increase in voltage. The, the DC system is now being 24 volts. It's pretty much established on big boats like Norhoffens. They're all 24 volts. Mm -hmm. But more and more boats are actually going to 48 volt, which mm -hmm. is actually 51 volt when it's lithium, because you can charge faster. Yeah. Mm -hmm. To answer that, that second part of the equation is how mm -hmm. fast do you want to put the energy back in means you go to higher DC voltage, mm -hmm. and we you can take the same size alternator one of the, the brands that we, we sell at Bomar, we sell American Power Systems and these these new high-voltage alternators, the same size as a 12-volt one. They look exactly the same. Mm -hmm. If you, we can, I can show you a chart that shows the difference in kilowatts of the high-voltage one mm -hmm. versus a 12-volt yeah. one mm -hmm. or even 24-volt one. And it's almost twice as much power mm -hmm. in, in watts mm -hmm. from the same size thing on your engine right. at higher efficiency. Right. Because at lower amps, there's less heat, there's less resistance, the cables can be smaller, the fuses can be smaller. There's all these advantages. Now, higher voltage also has the, the little caveat that it wants to arc across things better, and certain switches that work for 12 volts would just weld itself together at 12.4 volt. So there's, you know, there's, the system design is a big part of it. But uh, what's driving today's modern systems to increase efficiency is uh, to really get the most out of that diesel fuel is more advanced energy storage, mm -hmm. typically lithium batteries, yes. and higher power charging systems, and you know 24, 48 volt systems mm -hmm. now, so that you can achieve that goal of how far it is you want to go mm -hmm. before you have to recharge, and then recharge as fast as possible. So that's it's fun stuff. It's I mean, super fun. <laughs> I mean, that is it is really fun because guys yeah. like Alan Rick, we talked about earlier, yeah. they uh, they came up with the regulator that would work with higher voltage alternators in communication with the battery BMS. And you hear that word a lot. It's a, a TLA. You hear a lot. Three-letter acronym BMS. And, uh, that mean, That's the brains of a lithium battery system. Mm -hmm. And some of the drop-in ones that are on the market don't communicate. Mm -hmm. So you can charge them with an alternator. You can charge with fast current. But if they're going to have a problem, they, they get too hot or you mm -hmm. see the current or the cells are imbalanced and they cut off, they don't tell anybody that they're going to cut off. And then if you run an alternator without being hooked to a battery, mm -hmm. you have a massive voltage spike before the regulator can fix it, and you can do some damage to yeah. it or smoke it. There's, there's little devices in there that can help it, and there's mm -hmm. little alternator protection devices that can help mm -hmm. But We try and avoid that problem to start with, with with Victron or lithium batteries that talk to the wake speed regulators. And uh, those guys got in the game <clears throat> ages ago. Al started developing this stuff on his own ages ago, and they spent years doing it. Now they... Uh, uh, they're owned by Dragonfly, which is a big yeah. battery company. And they're, <clears throat> I'm pretty sure they're helping them develop stuff in the background. There's a lot of stuff they can't, can't tell you what they're working on. Um, but uh, that great product, uh, working with them, working with American Power Systems, working with Lithionics, and all stuff working together to, to create these packages of integrated systems where you have the storage, you have the monitoring, you know, with Victron monitoring, see what's going on. You can tell what your alternator regulator is doing. I mean, we got by with all the stuff before, right? Well, yeah. I want a simple system. Mm -hmm. Well, well, if you if you become a, a lead battery geek, and yeah. you know, pretty much all you need to do is watch your voltage, yeah. and you can kind of know what's going on, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, systems are becoming more advanced, and you need to know what's going on. And now that boat owners have Teslas, and they're used to watching. Now they're watching their stuff, right? Mm -hmm. They're watch, They're monitoring their energy. They Once the, you're used to it, you want it in your boat, too. Yeah, yeah exactly. So <laughs> that they want the monitoring, and they understand it. You know, these mm -hmm. boaters yeah. are, yeah. a lot of them are engineers anyway. Yep. Yeah. A lot of boaters are geeks. We love our boat geeks. <laughs> yeah. So now, have you noticed just from, you mentioned Teslas, with the car market, the industry, um, 
obviously dumping a lot of money into it, which goes into, you know, probably every aspect, um, but battery, uh, you know, advancements and so forth. Did that industry, did you see the effect on the boating industry? Um, not as directly as you might think. People go, oh, yeah, Tesla batteries, you know, you can you take take those batteries and even you, but one, no. Yeah. Those are 360-volt batteries with different type of chemistry. Right. In that market for, and the BMS for a battery is application-specific, mm-hmm. right? The whole control system that's in your Chevy Volt or in your mm-hmm. Tesla was designed for a car. Right. And, and it's, if you take it apart and take that... A forty-volt part of that, and put it in your boat. You got to figure out how to control it. Yeah. If also, that chemistry, if it does catch on fire, yeah, it burns really, really hot, and you can't put it out. Yeah. So on boats, we use batteries that are slightly heavier per kilowatt hour. Mm-hmm. It's lithium iron phosphate. It's a much safer chemistry. And if even like the lithionics ones, um, they've done testing where, in order to meet yield nineteen seventy three. If you bypass the BMS and cheat and fully overcharge it to make it burn, mm-hmm. it stays in the case. Wow. It doesn't go out outside the case. Yeah. So very important to boaters. Yeah. It's like it's like that, and, and it reaches a maximum temperature of like three hundred rather than yeah. like twelve hundred, like the, yeah. the NMC batteries are in a car. Mm-hmm. So and they're getting more energy dense anyway. They're becoming a little smaller, a little lighter all the time. Every year, they're like, oh, here's our new model. They've mm-hmm. got new cells. They're getting Chris just handed me batteries the other day. I went to, into the yard. He's working on a boat that he's converting to electric, and he hands me a battery. And I literally <laughs> went like that because I was not yeah. expecting. Like, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. It, is, yeah. it is insane how fast everything is progressing and, and super exciting. So if people go to oceanplanetenergy.com, they can find out what you're doing, but they can also research this and, and mm-hmm. just kind of... We try to provide some education in there. We have some yeah. links to Boat How To, because our partner, Nedra Calder, has developed with uh, one of his partners, uh, Jan, in, in Europe, this great educational platform with videos and lessons oh, that and is modules awesome. on boat, boat How To. And we really recommend that you... I wish I had taken boat how to before I went around the world, right? But it, it took me a few years of sailing around the world looking at Lemdow's sure. system to finally get my head around what the heck was going on. But the boat how to stuff that they do is is really fantastic. And so, what's the URL for that? Boat, boat how to? Yeah, there's a link on Ocean Rights on okay. our. Okay, so go our, to your uh, site. Yeah, and we'll, we go, we'll so, put it right here. Yes, there we will. Right there, see, <laughs> it's right. there it is. Well, right. go to the link on the Ocean Planet site because then we get a little. Yeah, more. go, yes, yes, go yes. through <laughs> Ocean Planet <laughs> Energy. Right. Which cost you the same. It cost <laughs> you the same. And but you also know we have seminars now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Nigel's famous for his seminars, mm-hmm. and we're now going to host them in Maine, mm-hmm. in Portland, Maine. Um, worked out a deal with a hotel and a place there, so you can yeah. come right to Maine, which is our stomping ground. And uh, we're getting some people signed up for those already. So when is your next uh, summer? Uh, in April. Oh wow. Yeah, okay. coming up soon. We got people signed up for that. So, Darren, you want to go to Maine? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> that sounds it's, awesome. It's, and Nigel's, Nigel's, he's been doing it for so long. Yeah. His shows are, he's has so much information. Yeah. That, uh, yeah. he really is brought up often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in our yeah. circle. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah. We just had uh, Chuck Laguna of H2Out on, and uh, they, H2Out, developed the uh, fuel guards to go in the air vent line to keep. Water oh. vapor from getting into your fuel tanks. That's a good idea. And it's one of the that's one of the few products that Nigel endorses. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we keep talking about Nigel. Nigel, Nigel, right? Nigel. he keeps coming. <laughs> <out>. <laughs> no, he keeps it's, coming. It's up. great. It's we're we're really proud to be associated with him. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, uh, well, that, and that means a lot that he's associated with you because obviously yeah, he he's pl- very very he careful. Sets, sets a high bar. You yes, know? he does. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think we we you know sort of feel an obligation now to really. 
I'm always trying to learn. I mean, I, I didn't, like we talked about earlier, I did not go to college. I'm not an engineer. Like some of our clients are, you know, mm-hmm. full-on engineers. I'm supposed to know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> I'm on I'm on some ABYC subcommittees with the Nigel's on too. I'm like, they're analyzing wow. how to do the new AC neutral to ground tie situation with auto transformers that are single winding instead of double winding. And, 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 I'm playing catch up big time on AC stuff. He's speaking uh, Greek, <laughs> and uh, and some of it is, um, and uh, I get pushed to the limit on on yeah. AC stuff. Uh, but it, I enjoy learning it, and uh, we've you know knowing the safest way, and mm-hmm. and getting Nigel's backup on that stuff is you know I, f- I feel the challenge to like. He's like my dad, you know. It's like you want to please your dad. You, know? <laughs> you want to make him proud of you. You want to make right? him proud of me. Yeah, yeah exactly. That's it's a cool. challenge. That's it's cool. not easy to impress. No. No, that's very cool. So now I feel like we're not going to get enough time with you. Uh, maybe we'll get you back again sometime yeah. in the future when you That'd visit our area again. But I do really quickly want to talk about a couple of your other hobbies or or things that you enjoy doing in life. Um, bicycling, guitar, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially guitar. I have a, a deep musical background, so I wanted to ask you some questions about that. What is your musical history? I know you were um, given a guitar when you were young and just took to it and I started taking lessons when I was nine and I took to it pretty quick. Um, and then where we're cruising around, I being a child, you know, teenager in the seventies, um, I learned all the Peter Paul and Mary finger picking things out of the Paul and me, Pearl Mary songbook and, mm-hmm. and, uh, Bob Dylan tunes and started hearing Ry Cooter. And, uh, and then when I was in high school, I uh, was taking a you know in music class in high school, and, and a friend of my dad said, "Oh, you gotta listen to Leo Kaki." Mm-hmm. And um, I, I listened to that, and I was starting to listen to John Fahey too. And Fahey was weird and unattainable. Fahey's not that hard to learn his tunes, but yeah. I listened to Kaki and went, "Holy moly, that's eye-opening experience!" I want huh? to play. I want <laughs> yeah. to play that stuff. That was <laughs> awesome. That that twelve-string stuff that came out. That album, first album we recorded mm-hmm. with Tacoma mm-hmm. in like nineteen sixty-nine. Yeah. That has the armadillo on the front, that yeah. black and white thing there. And uh, most guitar geeks, they have, they've got that album. Oh, yeah. And oh. no one ever heard anything like that. Just this driving, overpaced, just frenetic twelve-string stuff. And uh, I've learned to play a few tunes off nice. off of that. Off of that, I love that. Stuff. When we have you back, we're going to make sure you bring your guitar. Yeah, <laughs> that would be, that'd be fun. Yeah. So that's that's great. I discovered Lukaki, and I've been playing yeah. that stuff along. I, I play some slide, and I do a lot of open tunings. Awesome. I, back home, I have a, I have a, like an eighteen ninety bass date. That's my main six string. Mm-hmm. I have a, a really good classical and a really good twelve strings. One of my three good guitars. And my friend Neil loans me a guitar that I keep out here, so I got something to play. That's great. Right here, so that's really cool. That's fun stuff. My my girlfriend Rosalie is a is a pro piano player. Yeah. So, so have you performed right. live? Oh, a little bit, not too much. I mean, guitar players are a dime a dozen. Yeah. You know, I mean, <clears throat> if I wanted to really, you know, get a job in a band, I would, I would play the bass, right? <clears throat> and, uh, but when I, when we talked, we were talking earlier about living in Santa Cruz, you know, yeah. I was playing guitar in Santa Cruz when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old, yep. playing in restaurants. And yeah. that was fun. But I, you know, there were lots of good musicians in Santa sure. Cruz. And I'm like, well, I can get paid more to work on the boat, so I better <laughs> focus on that. So I've played mostly for fun, but I, I do, uh, I do play every now and then with some some friends, and uh, that's good. And uh, it's I, I I'm I'm working on some more YouTube videos 
I'll, I'll have some. I've got a lot of tunes. I put some of stuff up 15 years ago. Oh, wow. I got some 12 string stuff up on my on my YouTube channel. Excellent. And, uh, I'll check that on out there. But I have. Uh, so a bunch more tunes, things I want to do, and I'm working mm. with. I'd like to get some horns and mm -hmm. mix some guitar with some horn sections. And I'm talking to some really good guys, Scott here, Keystone, who's an incredible sax player. Mm. And I want to do some stuff with another some folks back in Maine. So there's more stuff coming. I'll get around cool. to it. Good for you. Cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Guitar is a perfect <clears throat> uh, instrument for a boater as well yeah. and a bicyclist. Uh, you, you. I thought I heard. On one of your podcasts, that you have like twelve bikes or something like that. It's, 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 I've pared it down to eight, I think. <laughs> how, how do you more need that bikes many than bikes? guitars? Yeah, well, I know. I can understand twelve guitars. guitars. But bikes? You need a road bike. Okay. And you need a mountain bike. Yeah. Preferably full suspension because you're gonna go ride trails in there. You need a. Fat... You gotta have an electric bike with your. <laughs> no. 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 I'm not that old yet. <laughs> so I got a. Uh, I like passing people that are yeah. electric bikes. Right. The and, racing. Uh, I've got a. Uh, a fat bike in yeah. Maine, it's, you got to get a fat bike yeah. so you can ride on the snow trails. And that's sure. so much fun. Yes, that's, I that's a whole imagine. new thing. Oh, yeah. wow. Riding on these, there's like full snowy, just they, there's a thing called a snow dog. They groom these tracks. They're like a couple feet wide. Oh. And you're just bombing through the forest at, on this beautiful white terrain. It's clear and oh. gorgeous. So that, a fat it's bike like, is a beefed up mountain bike, right? Big old yeah. tires. Yeah. 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 Snow yeah. bike. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much fun. Yeah. And you can ride you can ride get them on sand on the beach. The yep. wheels don't sink in. Yeah. So those are things. So you got you know road bike, mountain bike, fat bike. Now I race cyclocross and you got a cyclocross bike. And with cyclocross you need a pit bike. Because you know if you if something goes wrong racing in the mud or you crash and break your derailleur, you need to go to the pit and grab your other bike. <laughs> so so you got at least two cyclocross bikes. And then, all right, since I'm out here on the West Coast so much, I got another cyclocross bike here, yeah. and I got a mountain bike here. Yeah. And then back home in Maine, we've got a tandem that I custom built up. <laughs> I think that's most of them. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's a, like wow. the starting point. You yeah. know? I mean, you can have more, but that's kind of like the yeah. basic. That's really cool. I like how you're really into the things that you're into. Yeah. That's awesome. You go ahead. A passionate guy. Yeah, Totally. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for being here. It was an absolute fun. honor um, to meet the legend, finally. Uh -huh. um, Good to meet you again. Yes. 20 years <laughs> later. And I'm not embarrassed this time. Uh, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't embarrass myself. I said the oh, embarrassing geez. things this time, <laughs> pronouncing the, the, the sailboat race incorrectly. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, first of all, uh, definitely, I'm going to your YouTube channel and I'm going to check out some of your guitar playing and some cool. of the other stuff you do in your life. But um, you can go to bruceschwab.com, which forwards to oceanplanetenergy.com. Uh, Ocean that's the work, that's our business site. That's the main site. And for boating information and for figuring out your system loads yeah. or finding links to boat how to oceanplanetenergy.com. Excellent. And uh, projectimprobable.com yes. is, is all about my current, current uh, project with the restoration. Can people support that project on your website? Yeah, they just contact me through there and talk about it. It's not, let's, it's, I haven't created, a, the boat's owned by me, not by a nonprofit right. foundation like Ocean Planet was. Right. But I'm interested in partnerships or people who want to race with me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to control the projects. I have a vision sure. for that boat. But I would think that with my history of racing and some people yeah. who want to race with me and do that Absolutely. together with me and, and uh, <clears throat> who are sailors. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can either go spend, you know, a couple hundred grand on your own boat to go race to Hawaii, or you could, you know, pitch into in Project Probable and race with me. I so, recommend the latter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so there's that. And then on oceanplanet.org mm -hmm. is the compiled history of all the stories I wrote during 
oh, during yeah. the yeah. Ocean Planet adventure, from building the boat, from before building the boat, to st- all the struggles to raise money, uh, getting the boat built, getting to the Around Alone race, the Around Alone race, and all its stopovers, and all the preparation in Maine before the round, the Vendée Globe and the Vendée mm-hmm. Globe. I wrote hundreds of stories that went out to our email mm-hmm. list back in the day, and that's how it all got lost off the internet. And I had them in. Uh, a friend of mine has helped me with some video recording stuff. Wilder Nicholson back in Maine, he helped build that site up, and we got them all back online. All oh, nice. Stories. So that's a real nostalgia trip there. When, when's, the, would... when's the book coming out then? Yes. I mean, uh, are you going to fall into a new passion at some point and write a book? I don't know. <laughs> we think you should. Yeah, You've got I so many stories. Yeah. You sent me a story. I think it was from that, right? Yeah. For was, one of the days on the oh, race. Oh, it was uh, your, your uh, the December 3rd, 2004 uh, you remember? It was titled Wipeout. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's in the middle of the Vendée. Yeah. Were, yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Was that Southern Ocean at the time? Yeah, there was a few wipeouts then. Yeah. yeah. Of course, I didn't break the boom like I did in the Around the Lawn. That, so that one, yeah. You said, I, at least I didn't break the boom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, I just just relived some, because I, I remember reading those, and, oh, my God. Maybe someday I'll have I can't believe Brian you Hand, did that. Brian Hancock is a great Marine writer. He's a good ghost writer. He's written. Compile all your stuff. Too. To do all stuff, but yeah, you know, the story's not over yet, so it's, that's, true. Uh, that's true. Well, then that's the next book, but oh, we would love to oh, have oh. you back on here, uh, yeah. you know, promoting your book, um, <laughs> or, upcoming or bringing book. your guitar. Well, we should yes, do a guitar, guitar show, we should do uh, absolutely get yeah. some more uh, boat geek musicians. There's there some great, go. uh, talented we maritime a, musicians in the area. We got a bass player mm-hmm. on uh, bass player right John next door, on our See? neighbor next door. Yes, yeah, I can bring this, I can bring a sax player, yeah, the marina band. All right, there we go, cool. Well, Bruce, thank you very much uh, for being on the show, and uh, we m- wish you success and uh, pleasure in everything that you're doing yeah. in your life right now. My pleasure. Um, Have fun with Improbable. Yeah. Let me know when you guys want to go for a bike race, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. With my electric bike. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is it. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you, sir.
Forever.